Hey, everyone. I'm here to talk to you about Truebill. Now, over the last month or so, I, for some reason, have decided to take my finances a little bit more seriously. So because of that, I've been wondering about the subscriptions that I have and kind of where I can reduce costs and things that I don't really need. And I found out through Truebill that there are some places that renew free trials without your consent. And do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about, like me. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. I'm actually up to $150 right now. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. I had subscriptions for magazines, beauty boxes, etc. that I forgot I completely had and I was wondering why I was still getting them. I know it sounds silly, but I'm incredibly busy, so I don't always go through my emails or look through things like that to find out what's happened. So I use Truebill and you should too. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash TCFC. Go right now. Truebill.com slash TCFC. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash TCFC. Hey everyone, Lainey here. So I'm here to share another Spotify green room conversation that I had a few weeks back, and it was covering the Mark Redwine case. Now, if you recall, Mark Redwine is a 59-year-old man from Colorado who was convicted in October of 2021 for the murder of his 13-year-old son, Dylan Redwine, in November 2012. Now, in this recording, you're going to hear me have a conversation with the audience about the case and go over the case summary. So I hope that you enjoy these episodes and I hope that you have a safe and wonderful holiday. And I'll be back next week with another Spotify Green Room. We are going to resume normal programming in 2022. I can't believe I'm saying that. Anyways, I hope you guys have a great holiday season. Thank you so much for all of your support. And the best gift is giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing the podcast with a friend and all over your social media, of course, hacking us. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to True Crime Convos. I'm your host, Lainey. Let me get my phone plugged in before it dies. <laughs> We're going to wait for some people to join us so we can get this room started. I noticed that we had some upgrades to our <clears throat> system here, which is wonderful. So welcome, welcome. Let's give the people some time. And of course, it is the holiday season, so... Hopefully you guys are where you need to be, where you want to be. 
be sure to say hello in the chat if you are here. All right, we're just waiting on some more people to join and then I'll get started because we do have a really, really interesting case tonight. Um, it's one of the cases I've been really anxious to cover because it um, it was just full of a bunch of twists and turns from, you know, the dad, et cetera. So tonight we are talking about the Mark Redwine case. Again, I'm Lainey, your host of True Crime Convos, and I host the True Crime Fan Club podcast, the Crimes of Passion podcast on Spotify, and the paranormal podcast called It's Haunted What Now? Demilka says she's very excited for today's green room. So yeah, so um, this case was recently adjudicated. So I wanted to have it kind of finally ready to go before we um, discussed it. So let's get into it. So Mark Redwine, he is the subject of tonight's conversation. He was born in August of 1962. He's a 59-year-old man from Colorado who was convicted of murdering his 13-year-old son, Dylan Redwine, in the fall of 2012. Now, Dylan was last seen on November 18th, 2012, on a court-ordered visit to his father. Um, during later court testimony, Dylan's mother, Elaine Hall, explained that Dylan hadn't wanted to attend the visit, which would have occurred um, over the Thanksgiving holiday. Dylan, she said, wanted to stay with the family in the Colorado Springs area where they lived, largely in part because his grandmother had recently been diagnosed with cancer and he wanted to stay close to her. And I get that, you know, as a 12-year-old in a, a kind in a you know with families that are separated um he spent the majority of his time with his mother and his mother's side of the family so it's completely understandable that he did you know want to stay home close to the holidays um now elaine obviously listening and hearing her son she contacted her attorney asking if an exception could be made but since the visits were ordered by the court she was told that she would be in violation of the order if she kept Dylan from his father over the holiday so she really kind of had no choice you know I'm sure now she looks back and is like I wish I never did that but um you know everybody kind of gets really nervous when it comes to court ordered visitations and mandates it reminds me of the um, Susan Powell case, right? We go back to, he had mandatory visits with his children that would be supervised. And then on one visit, he shuts out the um, visitation person. I forgot the supervised visit. I think it was a CPS supervisor um, and then murdered his children. So you know, these laws aren't perfect and these mandates aren't perfect and you don't know what you don't know. So it's obviously, I'm sure, very upsetting for her to, to look back on that. I know that it would probably upset me. So Elaine drops her son off at the Colorado Springs airport to fly to see his father in Vallecito, which is just northeast of Durango on November 18th. And she remembers her son turning back to her to give her a hug before he got on the plane. Now, the mother and son exchanged a few text messages that night before Dylan's phone went silent after 10 p.m., and she never again received 
any messages for him, which was really odd because they did have constant communication. Um, we've talked about this kind of several times on um, on the show where um, some families are very open with their communication and talk all the time via text message or phone, whatever. And then some aren't, right? I, I think it's great that um, a 12-year-old was like really interested in texting his mom or, you know, maintained that communication. So that doesn't always happen. Um, so Dylan's friends also received texts from him around the same time on the evening of the 18th, but claimed that he never responded to any of their messages after 9.30 p.m. Um, Dylan had actually made plans to meet up with one of his friends the next morning, but when November 19th dawned, he never arrived to meet him. Now, this friend, the only reason Dylan actually looked forward to going to see his dad was because of this friend. So, um, you know, he put a lot of importance on making sure he made time for his friend. And that's who he spent the majority of the time with when he was visiting his father. So um, the friend thought it was weird, you know, that Dylan wanted to show up so early to hang out and then never showed up at all, um, which wasn't like him. So around 4.30 p.m. on November 19th, 2012, Mark texts Elaine asking if she'd heard from Dylan, saying that he hadn't heard from their son all afternoon. Mark told authorities that he had returned home from work and had taken a nap. And when he woke up, he still hadn't heard from Dylan. So he sent his son for texts that day and called several times, but there was no answer. Um... I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that kind of initial communication that Mark has with Elaine, where he, you know, sends her this text and asks that question, would your red flag as a parent go up? Now, remember, or maybe you don't know, but Elaine had a really volatile relationship with Mark since their divorce. Um, And she said that, you know, Being several hours away and hearing that no one had heard from her son was absolutely terrifying. So I'm definitely curious to hear what you guys think, especially um, in the chat. We did have some updates to the Green Room app. So now Android and iPhone users can utilize the chat function, which is awesome. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that. And if you want to hop on um, and voice your opinion, please feel free to. Uh, But for me, knowing that I had this kind of contentious relationship and knowing that he was apprehensive from going in the first, I'm not apprehensive, I guess he just, you know, you think it's nothing because sometimes kids just don't want to go places, right? Or they have a better relationship or whatever with the other parent and Mark and Dylan's relationship and um, Mark's relationship with his eldest son was strained. So it makes sense, right? That he didn't want to go. I don't know that that would have gave me any red flags. Um, but getting that message definitely would have set off alarm bells for me that, you know, you, nobody has heard from him and especially the person who should know where he's at at all times. Um, it, it seems strange. So Demilka says, absolutely. My child detests the other parent. And all of a sudden that parent is asking if I've heard from them, red flag. And knowing their open communication, the child could have texted the mom being like, hey, mom, I'm at my friend's house. I really don't want to be with him. But the fact that she didn't receive a text from her child is weird. Agree. Yeah. So that's the same thing I was thinking is that 
he, I think he would at least, if, if that was the case, he would be like, oh, this sucks. I can't wait to come home, you know, just kind of lamenting that he had to still be there. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that was weird. It definitely gave me red flags because I followed this case from the beginning of when everything was happening. Um, and so when I heard that the first time I was like, that's, that's weird. Um, and I don't, it gave me a really gross feeling about it. So after several more text messages between Mark and Elaine, Mark ends up telling Elaine that he had just left the marshal's office. However, when Elaine phoned the office to make the report, it turned out that there was no record or report about Dylan's disappearance until she made the call. Now, the first text message that Mark sent didn't send red flags initially. This definitely would. Why would you lie and say that you had gone to the marshal's office to report our son missing and you never did? So I would be like, listen, I got to go. Um, you know, I'm driving or I'm flying there, whichever way gets me there faster. So around 2.30 a.m. on November 20th, now keep in mind, Dylan has technically been missing for two days, but according to Mark, he has only been gone since the 19th. He, it's assuming that he did see him on the 18th and maybe in the morning on the 19th, but um, it was only a day after. So Around 2.30 a.m. on November 20th, Elaine and her husband arrived in Vallecito. She had left as soon as she received word that Mark hadn't heard from Dylan. The following days were dedicated to searching for the 13-year-old boy, knocking on doors, and searching the immediate area on foot. Now, the last footage of Dylan was found to be a surveillance video um, that came from a local Walmart. And nothing seems amiss. They kind of go into the Walmart and they kind of head in separate directions. They were just there to get snacks and things so that um, Dylan had something to eat when he was at home. So there wasn't anything in that particular um, surveillance footage that would have gave anybody the inkling that something um, had gone awry or that something was wrong. Um, I, I look at the same thing like, um, I don't know if anybody here is familiar with like the cherry, cherish periwinkle case, but that case centered around a lot of surveillance video um, that actually occurred in a Walmart. And again, you don't see anything nefarious going on until the man who's responsible for her murder ends up walking her out of the Walmart. And then we, of course, if you are familiar with the case, um, understand that Cherish was murdered because of that. Um, that's a whole separate case we can talk about at some point. If you're interested in listening to that particular case, my podcast, True Crime Fan Club, did cover it. So obviously just a content warning. So now we get into the search and investigation of Dylan. Now a search and rescue team began the search for Dylan at a creek near his father's home where he was known to enjoy fishing. So the thought is like, okay, maybe he um fell into the lake or the creek and he drowned or he hurt himself, something, you know, to help him. So Dylan was not known to have a jacket with him. And as it grew darker and colder, the search for him became more desperate. And at 11 p.m. on the night of November 19th, Mark Redwine was witnessed to have turned off the lights in his home, which witnesses later attested as being strange. 
Generally, when a loved one is missing, the family members leave every light on as a beacon for them to return home. So again, more red flags from the father. And again, you know, it just became one of the many suspicious actions on the part of Mark Redwine and his son's disappearance, including taking a 45-minute nap in the afternoon, despite not having seen or heard from his son. Um, you know, his son an hour. So I, I don't know how how concerned he was at that point. You know, I think if he obviously made no, I mean, knowing what we know now happens to Dylan, but if we're giving the benefit of the doubt to Mark um, at the time before we found out what happened, do you think that it's weird that a father would take a nap not knowing where his son was and saying, I haven't heard from him all morning and I sent him some text messages? Would you, would you truly have a concerning moment or would it truly be just a oh, he's probably out playing somewhere. I'm going to take a nap. I'm sure everything's fine. Like, does your thought automatically go to something happened to my child and I need to figure out where they're at? So for me, I'm hyper aware (laughs) and I want to know where my my baby's like seven months old. So obviously I know where she's at, but I would be, even my, even though if my kid was 12, you know, I would probably still be freaking out. It looks like the chat's, thinking the same way. Um, Yeah, my mom, same way. My mom made me, my mom was incredibly um, paranoid and made me paranoid uh, thinking I would be kidnapped if I walked outside by myself. But um, she basically made me give her every single phone number. This was when people were using like address books. Um, She made me give her every single phone number of the person that I was hanging out with and she would make me check in with her like every 10 to 15 minutes. And this is when text messages like actually costed, you know, cost some money, like 10 cents a message or something. Um, if you were born before that, consider yourself lucky to have unlimited texts. But um, yeah, so, you know, she was willing to pay that price to have me check in with her. And at the time I thought it was like overboard and super uncool and like, oh my God. But um you know, as I, as I've been in true crime for such a long time, I kind of um, appreciate that more because I had a sense of security over um, knowing my mom knew where I was. And so it didn't matter, like, if I was going to get in trouble, of course I lied. I mean, like at some, you know, sometimes I lied, Um, but she knew who I was with at least. So there wasn't an issue there, but yeah. So it looks like everybody here would not be able to sleep and would not be taking a 45 minute nap. Um, If you just joined us before we disclosed, he had allegedly said he went to go make a missing persons report for his um, son, missing son. The mom calls and tries to make a report too. And they are told that nobody's made a report and this is the first they're hearing about it. So he actually lied about that. That would have been my first red flag. The 45 minute nap, I don't know, not so much. I didn't hinge on that. But yeah, the the reporting non-report is an issue for me. Now, during the interviews with authorities during the search for Dylan, Mark tells them that he had a cold sore on his lip, but when told that police could verify this information with Dylan's mom, he changed his story, saying that Dylan had actually been hit in the face when they'd been tossing a football around and he had been bleeding on the floor. 
This contradicted yet another interview with police in which Mark had insisted Dylan wasn't hurt when he disappeared. So, um, again, he... I think it's interesting that he's trying to explain away blood that hasn't yet been found. Um, It ends up being found like traces of it, but you know, it's a little strange to be like, Oh yeah, he may have been hurt. And maybe that was assuming that they would find his body sooner. I don't know. Um, And he was just trying to cover up his tracks, but it's weird um, how he kind of shoves his foot in his mouth so many times with this. So, Other statements from Mark included insisting that there was a less than 5% chance that Dylan had run away, as well as suggesting a possible animal attack, saying like a coyote or mountain lion um, may have got him. And again, I've mentioned this before because apparently a lot of the cases I cover (laughs) on Green Room happen in Colorado or happen in areas where... um, mountain lions and coyotes or whatever are pretty regular Um, occurrences and sightings of them are pretty regular but I found a study that said that less than I think there have been less than three percent of attacks or something in Colorado over the like hundred years that they've you know been checking this information out. I can't remember exactly but it was a very small percentage of actual animal attacks from mountain lions um where they would you know come up and attack you but yeah so he's just adding these really big conflicting statements and it's just um very weird and you know it was just just very strange so now we go into the discovery and the death. Um, It wasn't until June of 2013 that partial remains positively identified as Dylan Redwine were discovered by a search team near Mark Redwine's house. Now, remember this whole time, Mark has been saying that he, you know, doesn't think Dylan ran away, but he also wouldn't really confirm that he did anything. And it's just very, he was just a strange guy. And if you look at pictures of Mark Redwine, um, you know, he's, he's not a, not a savvy dude in terms of giving himself some, some, what is it called? Like consideration that he didn't do it. And they actually, Mark Redwine and Elaine actually went on Dr. Phil at one point and, you know, Elaine was like, you killed my son. I know you killed my son. And he's like, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just, I'm sorry, but Dr. Phil interviews are just kind of the, you know, terrible. It's just, I don't even know how to explain it. So I want to play a little clip um, from here where, why, This is Elaine asking Mark basically why he doesn't feel too concerned about Dylan's disappearance when he first came back. So yeah, it's, it's really strange. So you get back at 1130 and he's gone. Right. Um, And so you just lay down to take a nap. Well, no, when I got back at 1130, 
I didn't think much of Dylan not being there. I mean, he knows the area. He's been up to my house many times. There's a campground at the end of the road that's not right by the river, which he tends to go up to every now and then. There's a bridge right down the street where it crosses over the river, which he's been known to hang out before. There's a rock wall that's right directly behind my house that he's been known to go stomping around in the woods back there. I mean, it didn't. I didn't find it so odd that he wasn't sitting there waiting for in November, mid-November, and you sent him. You sent him without a coat. Why is it always my fault? Why can't you take any of the responsibility? <laughs> At one thirty, you wake up. He's still not there. All right. Did some go off in your head? Absolutely. Then? This is when I'm calling him on his cell phone. I'm sending him text messages. I'm trying to communicate to him. You know, at some point, I start realizing that you know this is not like Dylan. You're his father. How could you do this to him? Elaine, I don't have, I don't know where Dylan is. I haven't had I anything to do with this. I don't, I know that's a lie. I know you had something to do with this. Yes. Yes. Whereas the last, you were the last one to see him. Okay. I don't believe that that's true. Well, I don't care what you believe. I don't have Dylan. I wish I had Dylan because if I had Dylan, we wouldn't be on the Dr. Phil show. Okay. I wish I had Dylan too, but that's Did not. Did you hurt him? No, Elaine, I wouldn't hurt him. What kind of mother do you? are you to even think that I was capable of doing something like that? I was that? your wife for 18 years. I brought you all the way to Dr. Phil to speak with you because you won't speak with me. What I care about is finding this child. Which is all I care about Did you about take a well. polygraph in this matter? I Police did. ask you to take a polygraph? They did. And what were the results? Well, there's been some conflict as to what the actual results are. Well, what did they tell you? Well, they told me that I failed it. Then they told me it was inconclusive. And there was some question about the person giving the polygraph as to whether or not they were capable of, of performing that polygraph test. So, yeah, very curious to hear what you guys think about that interaction um, between Elaine and Dr. F I mean, not Dr. Phil and Mark Redwine. Um, you know, making these statements. And, and again, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Dr. Phil or anything like that, but, um, yeah, I, I, when I watched this the first time I was like, oh, like this dude is straight up guilty. Um, and you know, we don't talk a lot about his older brother, Dylan, um, who, who also had a strange relationship with Mark. And he also confronts him on the um, Dr. Phil show to basically say like, hey, dude, I don't believe you. And I, and I think that the, the discussion and the reaction that Mark has when he talks about his son, when he talks about Dylan, is very telling about him being that type of person. I don't want to say narcissistic because I don't truly know his diagnosis or anything like that. But being that type of person that is thinking he's the smartest one in the room. And it broke my heart for Elaine that she was like, if I had him, I wouldn't be here. And you know what happened. Um, and I think from the very beginning, when she found out that Dylan was missing and it basically happened on Mark's watch, she thought it was him. And I also thought it was really interesting that his argument back to her when she says in November, like, really, you don't, I, I don't know how cold it gets in Colorado in November. I've literally never been. Um, but 
you know, my thing is, is like, I'm sending my kid to you. You need to have everything as if he was there. So I think it's just, um, you know, a very odd response to be like, what kind, and you send him without a jacket. And it's like, okay, like if I'm, if I'm weighing, um, the, <laughs> the egregiousness of each action, I would say that not knowing the whereabouts of your son is a little bit more egregious than not sending your son with a heavy coat, right? Uh, a heavy coat can be bought and taken care of. Um, it's just very strange. So obviously there's a concern that his mom has, a, you know, her son's out in the elements with no protection whatsoever um, that she didn't send. Um, and Lauren's giving us some feedback on this. Um, yeah. So Lauren says, Colorado in November is pure snow. Southern Colorado is a little less cold, but it's definitely not like hanging outside for hours weather. Um, and also like Demilka says that he should already have a heavy coat for Dylan if he comes to visit so much. Right. So I got, I want you to hear the interaction he has also with his oldest son, Dylan, um, because I think that's also very telling to the type of dad he was to them. has something to do with it. I think he's either got him hidden out or, you know, done something and disposed. I, I think, I strongly think that he's involved. Why? He hasn't done a single thing since Dylan has been gone. Why do you say that? What has he not done? Um, he hasn't been to any of the benefits. He wasn't there for Dylan's birthday vigil. He hasn't um, helped at all with the Find Missing Dylan Red Wine Fund. Um, That's offensive to you? Very. Very. Um, Dr. Phil, I'd like to make a comment about the fundraiser thing. I have several people in the community in which I live that are reaching out to me on a daily basis, can volunteer in their time to have some involvement with a fundraiser. But somebody from this side of the room called her and told her that they didn't want her to have any involvement in anything that had anything to do with raising money and didn't want me involved in any of that. You're wrong, and you know you're wrong. If you want to raise money for Dylan's fund and for the reward, then do it. Why does it have to be everybody else's responsibility? It's not everybody else's responsibility. We, why can't you go do something on your own? Why do you got to have us, uh, our approval? You say he has clear motivation. What do you mean? Dylan didn't really look up to Mark. They had a relationship, but it was never what Dylan had wanted. It was always what Mark had wanted, which was always to be on the road. Really? Never there. Why do you call your father Mark instead of dad or Because he's father? not a father to me. A father is someone who cares for their kids and, you know, would do anything for them. Be a I role believe, model. Someone I to believe look up that to. you're being very disrespectful, and I believe that everything that's coming out of your mouth is perpetuated by I your have mother. my own mouth. I can say can my own it? words. I am at you. I don't like you. I hate you. And you have been nothing of a father since the last t 10 years. Dylan's birthday, even though he's not here to celebrate it with us, where were you? You sure? I was making every effort I possibly could because I was in Texas working for the company that I work for, trying to get into Bayfield. And you're the only that one night. working. I'm not working and doing that stuff too. Yeah. So, what do you guys think of that interaction? It's a, it's a lot to take in, and, and it's really hard to see his brother hold back his emotions because he's trying to remain composed. Um, but yeah, Mark is the perpetual victim in all of this, right? He doesn't get permission to 
do things. And here's the thing, like if, if I was fighting with my husband about something with my daughter in terms of memorializing her, if God forbid something like that happened and we were separated, I don't need permission to do anything for, um, my, my kid, right. I don't need permission from the other parent to do a fund or maybe I'll have a separate fund or be the bigger person. And, um, you know, be the bigger person and do more um, to help bring awareness to the fact that my son is missing. So yeah, it seems like everybody had the same thing. And I forgot to play the earlier clip too. Um, If you guys want to hear it, let me know. But I forgot to play the earlier clip where Mark himself describes like what he was doing um, when he came back home and realized that um, Dylan wasn't there. I know we kind of talked about it, but to me, that's kind of why I like inserting audio and stuff like that at some points is because it kind of adds to the story and you can, um, you know, do this, but he loves this, right? He, I get why Elaine did this because she needed to bring awareness to Dylan missing and kind of have a platform to call him out with the support of somebody like Dr. Phil. Um, Mark did this for his 15 minutes of fame to say, Hey, I care about my son too. I want to put this all behind us and just focus on making sure Dylan is found. But when you are responsible for their murder, it's a little hard to take a front seat and say, yeah, let me help you find them. Um, I think if I was completely wanting to cover my tracks, I would try to divert attention outside of where he was, but you know, once you start making lies, it happens all the time. So um, I'll go ahead and just play the clip so you guys can hear it. Cause I do think that, you know, we already hate this guy so much, but I think that it adds a little bit to um, being able to hear it in his own words. And it's really very telling um, his nonchalant attitude about his son missing. I I would be crying if I was trying to describe what I did that day looking for answers to something I could have done differently. So we'll see. When I got home, the TV was on and it was on to one of the Nickelodeon channels that he's always watching. I didn't notice his backpack not being there. There was a fishing pole at the house and it was Dylan's fishing pole. That fishing pole was never found. I did lay down and take a nap for probably no more than an hour. I started looking for him at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I contacted his friend that he had been texting the night before. They hadn't heard from him all day. So that's truly when it started to set in. Where's Dylan? I immediately went to the law enforcement people. While I was at the marshal's office, I contacted Elaine and asked her specifically had she heard from him. That's where the fingers started getting pointed at me. Right then and there. Like I had some involvement. Next thing you know, I'm getting a call from my divorce attorney who had been contacted by her attorney. Quite frankly, I find that just a little odd that the first person you contact is your divorce attorney. This is before we even truly knew that Dylan was missing. The sheriff's office people showed up here and they were canvassing the area and checking out a few places that he could possibly be. They took sweatpants, a Samsung cell phone, my iPod. People want to say that I'm behind it. I absolutely had nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance. So, yeah. You hear that flat affect in his tone. 
Um, it's, it's really, really strange to hear him be so flat and saying, I had nothing to do with it. That's like, he's telling somebody it's 82 degrees outside, you know, it's, it's the same type of monotonous type of tone. That's really not disarming at all. It kind of gives you the creeps to be like, Oh dude, you're not helping yourself. You should have never done this. So Okay, so we talked a little bit about his Dylan's remains being found near Mark's home. So the team also discovers tatters of Dylan's shirt, one of his shoes and a sock, as well as several beer cans and a pair of headphones. Years later in 2015, a couple hiking in an area five miles away from where Dylan's remains were found would discover the 13-year-old skull. When consulted, animal behavior experts would explain that bears would have been in hibernation at the time of Dylan's disappearance and unlikely to have taken his head to another area so far away. Additionally, the skull was found to have a significant fracture wound, as well as what appeared to be a sharp forced trauma to the cranium. So his death was officially ruled um, a homicide, and in 2017, his father, Mark Redwine, was arrested and charged with his murder. So he was working at the time um, as a long haul trucker in Washington when he was arrested and he was brought back to Colorado for trial. There were so many roadblocks that prevented the case from being prosecuted for years, including Mark's attorney being arrested and COVID-19 pandemic, of course, you know, we know that that stalled the court systems for an entire year almost, but eventually the trial for the murder of Dylan Redwine began in June of 2021. Now, according to the prosecution, during Dylan's previous visit to his father, he found compromising photographs of Mark Redwine on his laptop, including ones of him in women's clothing, wearing a diaper, and consuming feces. Um, it was stated that Dylan had lost all respect for his father after that incident and speculated that might have added to his hesitancy to visit in November of 2012. Um, so if you guys don't know, there are the pictures. If you're, if you're one of those people that's curious, there are pictures of Mark um, in evidence that are available on Google. If you would like to look that up, um, you can just put Mark Redwine evidence photos and it'll show them. But um it gives you kind of the BTK vibes where they're found, you know, in, in lingerie. And again, we don't kink shame, right? So I don't care about the kink so much. Like, okay, great. You like the feel of women's underwear. Wonderful. Kudos. Um, some women would disagree. Um, <laughs> but some of the underwear is not very comfortable. But um, wearing a diaper again, kink, not a big deal. Consuming feces while likely not healthy for you. Um, a kink for some people, it's called coprophilia, um, and they enjoy doing that. So I would say just caution if you do. Um, you will see that happen if you happen to Google it. Um, I did, <laughs> and I only did it because I needed to understand um, how compromising the photos were. Um, so, <clears throat> so, yeah, so that's kind of... Um, yeah, the feces, it, it, again, it's a, you know, for some people it's gross. Other people may have that kink. So I don't kink shame it, but it's not something that I would do necessarily. And I also don't think it's very healthy to do. Um, cause I am sure that a medical professional would 
<laughs> would caution against it heavily. But yes, um, Demilka, yes, it, you just saw them. So give us your your opinion on um, what happened. If you want to step up and talk about kind of the reaction, you're absolutely welcome to do that. I will open it up for discussion too, if anybody wants to hop on um, and give their feedback on the case. So going into the trial, um, the prosecution, well, according to the prosecution, during Dylan's previous visit, um, he found those photographs, right? So it was stated that Dylan lost his respect and he hesitated wanting to go back. Now, Dylan's blood was reportedly found in the living room of Mark's home with a cadaver dog signaling that there were human remains both near um, Mark's truck bed, as well as the clothing he'd been wearing the night um, Dylan disappeared. Yeah, oh, they're definitely not safe for work. So hopefully you looked on your phone. <laughs> as an HR professional, I'm telling you, don't look on your work computer. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, you know, I think that's probably why now it makes sense, right? While he was in the um, in the interrogation room making those comments about, oh, you might find blood or explaining the blood. Um, so Lincoln, oh, I thought you were up. Sorry, if you came up, Lincoln, I thought I accepted you. Um, did I lose you? I probably did. So that explains why some of the evidence is, um, not evidence, I'm sorry, why he was trying to kind of sway the um, the investigators with the information about the blood, like, oh, he actually had a cold sore. Now, I don't think I've ever had a cold sore before that I can remember. Um, but for those of you who have, I'm not sure how much your, um, your cold sore bleeds, like to the point of you're going to have to explain the blood away, you know, like I, I don't know. I've never like experienced that. So I'm not entirely sure, but I don't, um, I don't exactly understand why he would go with a cold sore as an option. Um, and then the, the baseball thing makes more sense, right? Like getting hit in the mouth or getting hit in the nose. Like you're obviously like head wounds and stuff like that seem to have a big um, gush of blood. Um, yes. He says, if you have a cold sore bleeding that much, you need to be in the hospital. And of course his mom, you know, denied that that was the case. It's not like it happened within that time period that she wouldn't have noticed it. Support for True Crime Fan Club is brought to you by Incipio. Incipio offers legendary protection for all of your devices, from phones to AirPods to tablets. They obsess over their tech to protect yours. As you know, the holiday season is upon us, so Incipio Organic Core Clear and Duo for MagSafe are the perfect holiday gifts if you're gifting somebody a new phone, tablet, or AirPods. Did you know that every 12 Organic Core cases reduces one pound of plastic from landfill waste? That's amazing and a great way to make a difference with a gift for a loved one. Just know your phone will be protected from drops as high as 14 feet. Best of all, all Organic Core Clear cases are also wireless charging compatible. 
And there's a lifetime warranty, so they've got you covered. So what do you get? You get 20% off and free shipping within the U.S. with code TCFC at Incipio.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TCFC at Incipio.com. Making content is an essential part of what I do to keep this show going and all my other shows, if I'm honest. But it hasn't always been a seamless creative process. I've talked about being an elder millennial and how that sometimes means, despite my shock, that I'm technically challenged when it comes to making things for TikTok or for Instagram and making them look cool. But ever since I found Canva Pro, I can design anything like a pro and on any device. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. It has tons of fonts, photos, videos, and so much more that add personality and edge to whatever you're doing. So when I create content for my paranormal show called It's Haunted What Now, I am able to pick spooky themes with spooky songs and it kind of really brings everything to life. And that's also one of my favorite Canva Pro features. Best of all, it's only $12.99 a month, so you and your team can unlock everything Canva Pro has to offer. So design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial. When you use my promo code, just go to canva.me slash tcfcp to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's c-a-n-v-a dot m-e slash tcfcp, canva.me slash tcfcp. After the cadaver dog um, finds that they take that information into evidence and the indictment included a conversation with Dylan's older half-brother, Corey, who reported a conversation he had with Mark in 2013. According to Corey, Mark discussed blunt force trauma more than once and that investigators would need to find the skull before they could determine the cause of death a conversation that occurred years before Dylan's skull was discovered by hikers. Um, So obviously, again, not doing himself any favors whatsoever by having that discussion with his son. Um, Now, prosecutors speculate that on the night of November 18th, 2012, Dylan confronted his father about the compromising photographs he discovered of him. And that confrontation ultimately is what led to his death. And I think Dylan was planning, or the theory is that Dylan was planning on showing his mom um, to maybe have visitation stopped or to say like, oh, this is what's happening. And obviously um, to the judicial world and the non-kink world, right, that would obviously be a concern for anybody um, who was engaging in some type of like custody dispute with their child. And if Dylan was like, hey, I don't want to go there anymore. Here's why. I don't feel comfortable. This is what I found. I I think the judge would have more of a problem with the fact that this was discoverable as opposed to not, right? Like, I don't care that you're in diapers. I have a problem with the fact that you have this, these images not well hidden or not safely put away to where your minor child isn't exposed to them. I think that's the biggest, um, that would be the biggest concern from a court perspective. So 
In October of 2021, Mark was sentenced to 48 years in prison for the murder of Dylan Redwine. He was found guilty of second-degree murder and child abuse. In a statement, the judge said that he couldn't recall a convicted criminal who showed such an utter lack of remorse. The judge went on to disdain Mark's lack of thought for his son, noting how he only thought of himself after murdering his own child, focusing on cleaning up the crime scene and disposing of the body. He continues, believe it or not, he continues to insist on his innocence and denies any wrongdoing in regards to Dylan's death. And he insists that he will continue to fight for Dylan against, quote, all fake justice. Dylan's older half-brother, Corey, continues to remember his brother as a hero, praying to him and dreaming of him. Dylan was laid to rest in the Bayville Cemetery in Bayville, Colorado, with a memorial bench that includes etchings memorializing his love of baseball. His memorial insists that visitors take the time to remember his life and the light he brought into the world, rather than the terrible way that he was removed from it. Okay, so let's talk theories, thoughts, questions, concerns. Feel free to pop up, but if you don't want to or don't feel comfortable, totally understand. You can also put questions or theories in the chat or thoughts about the case in the chat. Um, Let's see, let's go to the chat. So Josephine wonders, how can you have more shame over sexual photos than murdering your own son? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Maybe people, I think that's why they say like, you know, the death penalty isn't a deterrent because people don't think about that when they're killing somebody. And maybe Mark didn't think about the fact that these photos, because obviously um, what Dylan, and I'm sorry, what Dylan had done is text those photos to Corey. And that's how we were able to get those in evidence. Um, Otherwise they wouldn't have been found. So Corey is actually the one who um, told the investigators about that and the fact that they, you know, the photos were um, there. So I don't think that, I don't necessarily think that he was thinking (laughs) about the fact that these photos were going to be entered into evidence because maybe he didn't even consider it. Um, But yeah, I would be thinking that. I'd be like, uh, I want to make sure none of my stuff gets uh, shown in public on court TV, you know? Um, So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, he doesn't, I I don't think he sees what he did to Dylan as a murder as much as self-preservation. So maybe they, they weigh equally to him. He's just willing to, and he hasn't even talked about the photos either. So who knows? Um, Daniel says, in terms of speculation, why confront the person with those kinks instead of confiding in anyone else? Well, he did. He did confide to his brother, Corey, about it. Again, I mentioned earlier. I didn't mention that earlier in the case, so you didn't know. But um, he did talk to his brother, Corey, about it. And I look at this as a 12-year-old who doesn't have a filter, right? I was a mean (laughs) teenager. So, um, you say things like think about how many teenagers tell their parents they hate them, you know, and it's as a parent, you're like, Oh my God, that stings. That sucks. I don't want to be told by my kid that they hate me, but you realize that it's a, you know, a mark of immaturity and it's, you know, an outburst and things like that. You don't ever, 
take it seriously. I mean, unless of course your kid truly does hate you and you guys know that for sure. Uh, but you know, I've said I hated my mom before and obviously I didn't mean it, but it's just like, you know, you say things in the moment because you're, you're just immature. That's all I can say. So I think that he was, if we're going with the theory that he confronted his dad about it and said, oh, I'm going to tell mom about this. I think it was his way of trying to just scare Mark into that. And I don't think he realized the seriousness of the issue for Mark, right? Um, Because again, he's a 12-year-old, so he doesn't know. You know, he looks at that stuff and he's like, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's gross. You know, and of course he's going to tell his mom because he's, he's freaked out by it. And at that age, you should be. I mean, you shouldn't be exposed to things like that at that age. So I get it. Um, But yeah, I, I think that that's, probably if that's what we're going with likely what happened is that he was um trying to intimidate his dad in some way and again it's not really on him so it's just like mark had a responsibility to not react to that and to just deal with it but again when you have somebody who's a narcissist they can't handle that they can't handle anything threatening their image if you will um So Lauren says, I didn't, I think he didn't even want Dylan to come in the first place. And he had thought about killing him before the pictures thing had happened. Feel like he was over it. I mean, it's very likely again, he had, maybe it's likely that all of those things are true, that he had um, those feelings because he didn't have a good relationship with them. I mean, it's not, it's clear that he didn't enjoy spending time with his son, um, because he made like no accommodations for when Dylan was there truly. Um, And he let him spend all of his time with his friends. That's all he did. So, you know, I mean, when you, when you go to a parent's house who doesn't seem to want to be bothered by you, of course you don't want to go. So I think, you know, again, that's on Mark for not wanting to have that relationship with his son. Um, And I think it's very telling what Elaine said in that Dr. Phil interview, where she was saying, you know, I was married to you for 18 years. I know. Um, okay, Connor. I think that's how you say it. Connor. Oh, geez. Look a little young, Connor. Um, you might be muted. Okay, good. He looked a little young. Connor, don't do that. I'll tell you guys something hilarious. So I was moderating a room for um, Pop Spiracy. And a child, <laughs> a child literally joined and we, I was like, I allowed him on. Cause they were like, yeah, just let whoever up. So I was like, okay. And then he had like some weird profile picture. So it wasn't even anything, um, where you would look like how Connor did. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, you look like a child. Um, so he gets on and he's like, Hey, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I just want to ask if you guys, uh, after this, want to join my room and we could talk about blah. And we're like, no, thank you. Goodbye. It was so cute. And I was also like, why are you on this app? You're a child. Get off. Crazy. Um, yeah, but I thought that was funny that he literally joined the room to ask other people to leave the room to go join his room, which was hilarious. And, you know, good on him for marketing himself. Um, Let's see. Let's see. 
So Josephine says the confrontation was juvenile, but to be expected when you have a son in his early teens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Cecile says, what I found interesting is when during the Dr. Phil show and she said, I know you, did you see that narcissistic behavior back when? And she did, um, which is why she thought that when he called her about Dylan, she said like she knew in her gut that he had did something to um that he had did something to Dylan, that he had, that he made this happen. There wasn't a thought of like, oh my God, my son's missing. And, you know, the dad's so worried. Um, you know, I was a little, a little nervous about that or whatever. She instantly went to, where is he, et cetera, et cetera. And then he was like, oh yeah, I went to go file the report. And she knew better than to believe him and I think that says a lot, right? Like, I would think that if if I didn't know who Mark was, right, and I didn't have this experience with him, that I would think that as a parent, you would be like, okay, I trust you. Now, let me get over there and see what we got to do. Um, I wouldn't think that you're lying to me. Um, but knowing him and, you know, maybe he's just known as a person who lies like that, that... um you know, maybe, maybe she was just like, yep, this is what's happening. And I know he's lying. And so I'm going to make sure that I have everything in order. And then I find my son like without his help, because I just know that something is wrong. And I give so much kudos to her um, because she, she really is the person who spearheaded and led the um, search for Dylan. Mark didn't search for his son. He went to the first search, I think, but after that, he didn't go to any of them. You know, and I mean, I don't, Connor said, sorry, that is my little brother's pick. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I just have had experience with young teens on this app. So I just wanted to make sure um, you weren't trying to steal my audience, Connor, to go to your room. I'm just kidding. You may have missed that story, but it's, it was a good time. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's, that's what's strange about that whole thing. And also, again, kudos to her um, for knowing better and for trusting her instinct as a mother um, to, to not say, or to not trust him like that. Um, oh, hold on. I need to find that because that's in my research. But um, I think it was Redline's attorney. Hold on. It was in my research after I do my little search. He was, um, he was arrested for assault. Um, he was a public defender, um, who was initially assigned. And so he was arrested for misdemeanor assault and domestic violence. So he was released on his own personal recognizance because, uh, he's a attorney with the state. So, they give them a little bit more leniency, if you will. Um, so basically what happened for that particular case is that um, he was arguing with his ex-girlfriend and she was in a chair at the time and I guess he was standing up. And so he got angry at her and pushed her chair, which knocked her off of this raised porch area in the backyard. Um, she hit her head and 
uh, got a bruise on her arm. And she said that she might also have a concussion. And so when he pushed her and she fell, obviously she was scared. So she ended up yelling for help. And um, when she did that, he then makes a genius move and goes and turns on a water hose and starts spraying at her, like in her face to get her to stop screaming. Um, which she then gets up and thankfully gets away from him. Obviously not an appropriate response to somebody screaming for help. Um, so he, she told the officer or whoever she made the report to that he had a history of abusing her and domestic violence, especially when he was um, drinking. So they arrested him for that. Um, he was arrested while he was intoxicated. So yeah, he was, and he ended up being removed. And so that's that. So he was arrested for um, essentially domestic violence. But yeah, very, very, very interesting. Let's see. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Oh my God. Oh, and then here's the polygraph test that was taken um, with Mark um, or the request to take the polygraph test. So I, I think you should hear his, his response. So I forgot. I just found the clip. So let me know. Here we go. my whole point of being here and talking to you now okay is addressing my concerns and the things that are bothering me and have been for a long time well as i said it's got to be voluntary or we don't do it it's hard for me to digest all of this this is all happening way too quickly i just feel so overwhelmed would you be more comfortable with me coming out to the studio tomorrow morning after a good night's sleep i'll be honest with you i feel like my blood is boiling has been for hours. My point is, I, I'm not refusing to take a polygraph test. All I'm asking for is, you know, some time to process this whole thing, because, I mean, this has all got blindsided. After talking with Jack, I felt more comfortable taking the test tomorrow instead of doing it today. So yesterday, Mark was agitated, needed time to rest and process things. He said he wasn't opposed to taking a test. He just didn't want to feel pressure. I want him to be totally comfortable. This is about getting real answers. So I, despite waiting, I invited Mark to come here to Paramount to meet Jack Tremarco for an 8 a.m. polygraph test. It's my understanding that Mark's here now. I'm set up. I'm just about ready for him. So... He's going to take this test. We'll just get it done. Well, I'm here at the Dr. Phil offices. I'm going to take the test. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm necessarily ready to take the test. But, you know, at this point, you know, well, we're going to take it. We're going to do what we got to do. How are you? You've had a lot of time to think since we last met. Bottom line is I, I, I'm trying to be forthright with everybody. It's very intimidating to have my ex-wife sitting on a stage with me pointing fingers at me. I mean, that bothers me. And then to have my son come out and say, I hate you, you know, just, I feel like I'm being pushed off the edge of the cliff. What are we going to do? 
I didn't come here to waste anybody's time. So. Let's do it. I'll ask the camera to, to give us some privacy, and we should be done in about an hour and a half. A question was asked. I gave an honest answer to it. The question was, do you feel well enough to take this test? And my response to that question was no. It became clear that it, by answering no to that question that there was no point in proceeding any further. Mark decided that he didn't feel well enough to take the polygraph test. He told me he had about three hours of sleep last night and uh, he had a half bottle of Jim Beam on top of things. So uh, he doesn't feel well enough to take the test. And yeah, I don't know that I would be... <laughs> it's just so like, of course, you know, you think he's going to take it. And then he, of course, he finds a way to get out of it, even at the... Um, you know, the very last moment strapped up and ready to go. And then he's like, oh, no, I don't feel good. So he finds a way to kind of get out of it um, so that, you know, even if, I think even if the test had gone through and it came back as failed or inconclusive, he would have said the same thing. He would have said that I didn't get any sleep. I was tired. Oh, I also drank a lot last night. So I think he would have made excuses either way. And I think that um, it's very clear, you know, he had no interest in, in it, in it um, at all. And that's why he did the delay, thinking people were going to be ecstatic that he came through and finally was going to do it and then didn't. Um, you know, but again, I don't give a lot of credence to polygraphs. We see it all the time. They're just not reliable. Um but I think in this case, you know, knowing that I wouldn't, I would have taken it with a grain of salt. It's not even admissible, so it doesn't matter. Um, so let's see, <laughs> what does it mean to be ready for the test? Who knows? Um, so this dude makes my eyelashes itch. There started, there started the excuses. He knew what the results would have been. Um, Daniel says, and the science of polygraphs, why are some of the them admissible in court and others are not? Also, if we wanted to, you could try the polygraph and claim they're hundred percent reliable. Exactly. I think he would have done it anyways. Um, I think he went as far as he wanted to go so he could still have control over it and um, still drag people along because that's what narcissists do. They like to um, make sure people are kind of eating out of their hands. And that's what he tried to do this whole time is control the narrative and be like, no, I didn't do it. But yeah. So I thought this case was really interesting. I knew that everybody would kind of have an opinion on it. So I truly, truly thank you guys. Um, <laughs> still within this 15 minutes. Absolutely. Um, so I thank you guys for joining me tonight. We are at the end of our time. We have so many shows on today. Our lineup is just getting bigger and bigger and it's amazing. Um, Spotify still has me showing up at 7 p.m. Central. So I know a lot of people <laughs> join thinking it just started. Um, but no, unfortunately not. So I moved to the 6 p.m. time slot, um, but we still have true crime content pretty much all day, the rest of the evening. So there's a lot more to join in on, but I moved to the 6 p.m. Central slot um, to cover that time frame. So we are now moved up and hopefully social media will update itself and we'll be going. Hello, Aaron. Oh my God, Aaron, I was just telling everybody about the... <laughs> about that that kid that joined your room 
and asked other people to <laughs> leave the room and go to it because we it looked like we had another one but it was just somebody else's profile picture um and I was like oh my god do we have another 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 young boy <laughs> joining joining our Spotify green room to ask us to go play in his room which was hilarious to me um, but yeah, so make sure you guys also join the Pop Spiracy. We have True Crime Rewind, Crime Movie Club, um, lots of true crime content. Madeline also is in this room. Hi, Madeline. She also hosts her own little room about the Bachelor, Bachelorette. I don't know anything about it, um, but I love to hear her talk. So make sure you follow her as well. And Aaron, who's just joined in here. Um, but anyways, thank you guys for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday if you celebrate it. Um, and I hope you celebrate it in the way that you want to. Me, it's going to be just me at home with my husband and my daughter drinking wine and having really good food. That's not necessarily turkey because it's boring sometimes. Um, but yeah, if you're traveling, be safe, please wash your hands, cover your face, do all those fun things, be a responsible human. That's all I'm asking. And I hope everyone has a great and wonderful evening. Stay tuned for content. And if you have a case suggestion, feel free to tap on my picture, follow me, tweet me. Um, I will typically take those under advisement and do whatever case you want to hear about because nothing is off limits on Spotify Greenroom. Um, obviously, based off of what we talked about today, um, you all have now heard about um, coprophilia. Tomorrow, I might talk about the Rittenhouse case um, if we have time to do some research on it, just to get everybody's thoughts and kind of allow for an open room. But anyways, hope you guys have a great turkey day. And if you don't celebrate it, then have a good Thursday. And I'll talk to you guys later. See you next week. Bye, friends. Okay, fan club members. As I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, but let's not forget I'm still locked out. And of course, our website is truecrimefanclub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, but let's not forget I'm still locked out. And of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email tcfcpod at gmail.com.